You're listening to Radio Albion, talk radio for the nationalist community. Welcome to a new edition of the Daily Nationalist. This is Matthew Raphael Johnson, and it should be going out on February 8th, 2024. It shouldn't surprise you, really, that we're going to talk a little bit about the empire, uh, Yemen, and, of course, the already apparent failure of the latest imperial war. I do not claim to be an expert on Yemeni demographics. That was a country that most people forget about, despite it being an oil producer. When you look at the Middle East, uh, when I was a professor, I taught a class on the history of the Middle East since 1945. And I have a book out, which I keep forgetting to promote. It's called The Foreign Policy of Mass Society, The Failure of Western Engagement in the Islamic World, which is on Amazon. It's not all that long, but I think it makes the point very, very clearly. Yemen rarely comes up. Now, we all know what Johnson's Law is, and we know how relevant it is. Given the nature of an obscure tribe from an already obscure country, the regime can simply make up whatever it wants. The Americans are deliberately blocking a peace deal between Yemen, or the Houthi tribe, and Saudi Arabia. Now, that comes from the New York Times, so you take it with a grain of salt, but that's exactly, very, very, sounds like the Americans. And through executive order, whoever controls the Biden administration, we all know who that is, designated them something called the specially designated global terrorists. That's a little different from simply going on the list of, of terrorist organizations. And the difference is that it's almost entirely financial. The payoff is that it will block the payment of government workers in, in the Houthi areas of, of Yemen. They haven't been paid in a very long time. It is also one of the demands of the, of the Houthi movement. And the peace deal that the Americans are trying to block has that as one of its planks. They want the oil revenue that normally goes to the Yemeni government that, that the Saudis back, based mostly in Saudi Arabia. And it's difficult to tell if they acceded to these demands or if they paid the salaries by, by other means. Bringing this designation means that now it can't be done. The deal that they're trying to work out with the Saudis 
of course, includes opening airports and, and its seaports, which, by the way, have been blockaded not, not recently, but since the Saudi intervention starting in 2015. Again, this can't be done under this American designation. New York Times also cited somebody saying that the U.S. will only allow civil salaries to be paid uh, if and only if they stop their attacks on uh, Israeli shipping and support Israel. The Houthis are about 40% of the Yemeni population of roughly 40 million people. I want you to keep in mind, too, that as far as these internationalist, uh, international law, United Nations documents go, the Houthis are doing the right thing because there's a responsibility to, uh, to protect those who are into international law are well aware of it. The Houthis are doing the right thing. They're following what international law uh, states about, um, about what they should do. Genocide is going on. No one denies it. Either celebrate it or you condemn it. And therefore, they're doing the right thing. But the Americans will do anything other than confront the Israelis. We know um, that they would never do that. The U.S. is a Jewish government. According to the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, you have, of course, Anthony Blinken, David Cohen, Deputy Director, at least um, recently, Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, Avril Haines, Director of National Intelligence, Ronald Klain, Chief of Staff, or at least the former one, Eric Lander, the Science and Technology Director, of course, from Pennsylvania, the, I think his name is Michael Levine, goes by Rachel, um, Mayorkas, Director of Homeland Security, and Newberger, also in the security apparatus, Wendy Sherman, Janet Yellen, Jeff Zients, who's now Chief of Staff, um, Rochelle Walensky, uh, Jared Bernstein, which is, you know, these are economic and health positions. Isabel Guzman, Deb Holland, Secretary of the Interior, and of course, Victoria Newland. And, and those are just the biggest names. Lower levels of the bureaucracy, the under, under, under secretary, um, also are wildly overrepresented. And I know I'm leaving a lot of people, a lot of people out. That's not the only reason the U.S. will never confront Israel, but it's an important part of it. Rather than that, of course, um, the BlackRock administration wants to up the ante. The Houthis have made it very clear. They're targeting shipping headed to Israel. They have a, they issued, actually the, the Iranians issued it through Twitter, exactly what a ship has to do to identify itself as not going to Israel, and then they're left alone. It's very, very simple. The Iranians also came out with evidence at the UN that there's really been a minimal um, um, drop in traffic. So the media, as always, makes up stories, and we know from, according to CNN itself, the Israel... Uh, the Israeli security apparatus in Jerusalem has to um, censor and approve any article concerning that, that conflict. It's the same thing in Iraq. It's the same thing in, in Ukraine. 
We all know that the regime has engaged in missile strikes on what they think are Houthi positions, and of course, they fail. They continue, not nearly as intense as the Saudi version some years ago, and making matters worse, what was the, the Saudi UAE coalition a few years ago, something like a half a million people killed from 2015 to 2022. Starvation and disease far more than any kind of military action. Now, there's a truce, kind of like North and South Korea. There's a truce that, that was put into effect in the spring of 2022, but there is no formal peace treaty. That's what's being hammered out, and the U.S. is doing everything it can to derail it. Saudi Arabia does have an independent foreign policy. We've talked about that on this show before. The Saudis were not pleased at the American unilateral action. The Houthi official, this is actually this month, said that they were ready to formally make peace with Saudi Arabia. I think his name is Hussein Aghizi, who was a deputy foreign minister. You even have, now usually Republicans, Donald Trump unfortunately included, um, and you have the Yemeni presidential council, this nonsense, who want to ground campaign. But the government in exile of Yemen has almost zero influence. There's something else that comes out of the specially designated global terrorist group. And you have aid groups in the area who've been there a long time because the attacks on Yemen have been going on from the U.S. or the Saudis or each other. Um, that's since the 90s, really. But this designation which was introduced by George Bush in, I want to say, I think it was 2001. Um, if you go to the executive order itself, it has a, a history of it. And they actually define terrorism in it, and it's exactly what the U.S. is doing right now. But aid workers are saying that now aid is even going to get less to the Yemeni population. It's been almost a decade now since the war was declared from Saudi Arabia and the U.S. And about half the population, well, 20 million people, need food. Now, this doesn't take into effect the end of this month, but the embargoes that were placed on Yemen cut everything off. That's not normally how these things go. So they, they weaponized this designation to use famine as an instrument of foreign policy, starving the people into submission for the sake of Israel. And we all know what the Americans are doing. Everything revolves around Israel. It doesn't revolve around oil because the U.S. doesn't get much oil from that area. And the leftist claim is, is nonsensical. Saudi Arabia may be an exception. The U.S. is hardly dependent on it. But it's first of all to eliminate any ally of Iran and discourage anybody um, going to the Iranians. It's of course to keep Israel supplied 
It has nothing to do with uh, the critical shipping lanes, although it does demand that the Americans, and only the Americans, control the shipping lanes in the Red Sea. Lesser known, of course, is the oil pipeline. If the Americans launch a war on Iran and shipping from the strait there is, is disrupted, um, they want a new oil pipeline going across Yemen. But what sums it all up is Israel and Tel Aviv's territorial ambitions and Jewish control, not just of the U.S. government, but of the region. And it's not just a matter of expanding Israeli territory. You know, there's not that many Jews in the world. They're going to have to use allies here. You know, to have this huge greater Israel, how many Jews can, can staff that? They could barely staff what they have. And as I've said a thousand times, it's to make sure that no rival of Israel ever becomes an industrial power. Approaching first world status is far worse in the Jewish mind than, um, than a, a chemical weapon. So clearly, this war is an American, that is to say, liberal imperialism strategy. And it's not in the American interest, it's in Jewish interest. Same thing goes for the proxy war against Russia-Ukraine, escalation here, and the central target is Iran, at least for now. It isn't so much that, that the American ambitions um, parallel perfectly Israel's strategy. No, it's that American global ambitions, to a great extent, have been constructed by the Zionist movement. Israel is in, is in some serious trouble here. No one is prepared to deal with the Iranians. This was a, is a first world enormous country. Now, yes, they've planned war for decades and decades and decades. But the war, the de facto war with Russia, de facto war, although to a lesser extent with China, liberalism cannot handle illiberal systems within a world that it claims as its own. The fact that Iran, China, and Russia are allied closely and it's mutually beneficial, that makes it all the worse. Of course, U.S. imperialism is declining. And these are, as I've said for decades now, it's like a wounded animal that you corner. What is it going to do? And in fact, I'll go so far as to say that this is an attempt to directly control um, these areas, to reestablish some variant of colonialism. Of course, Yemen is not a huge part of this, but at the moment, it's where elite attention has gone. The only shipping in the Red Sea that's threatened, I'll say it again, are ships heading towards Israel. Anyone else just has to do, just has to identify themselves in a very specific way, and that's it. There's, there's not a problem. Now, the war now, I think we know this, the continuation of the Saudi war, you know, in 2015, there was a coalition of nine Arab countries, you know, backed by the U.S., of course, who did a, a much greater version of what the U.S. is doing, massive airstrikes all over the country and a naval blockade. 
um, Washington's uh, preferred leader, Mansoor Hadi. He usually goes by Hadi, who won the election in 2012, by the way, with 100% of the vote. The opposition was not permitted to exist. But the Saudis did not win. At most, it was a draw. Saudi Arabia has an elite force. Saudi Arabia, I think, don't quote me on this, but it's like the fifth or sixth largest defense budget in the world. They're a first-rate military power. They don't use it very often. But the Saudis did not win. So the U.S., now working for Israel, has to, um, has to step in. As I've said a thousand times too, there's no one in the State Department that knows the first thing about the Houthis or their, or their agenda. Everyone there is vetted for Israeli, uh, an Israeli point of view. And I should note that the Saudi intervention was run by Blackwater. Nothing is ever as it, as it seems, which is why the new administration, so to speak, the growing and developing administration in Saudi Arabia is, does not trust the United States. No one trusts the United States. What are the chances that the U.S. could even remotely win this? The Houthi militia, you're talking about a well-organized, to say the least, highly motivated, but most importantly, they're battle-hardened. They know the terrain, they know the shipping, and they know American strategy. They've been at this for a couple of decades now. And I can make the obvious point that the U.S. was defeated in Afghanistan. How does a regime even remotely believe they're not going to be defeated here? The anti-ship weaponry that the Houthis have is extremely impressive. Cruise and ballistic missiles. And one of the reasons that they engaged in military parades back last year, the year before, is to show exactly what they have. The anti-ship versions of the Iranian uh, kids LACM. Um, they have advanced radar. They have drones. They have every kind of equipment that you need for exactly what they're doing. Iranians have supplied them. Even though the Houthis are independent, they have their own agenda. But they also have coastal radar systems. It's easy to say that the Iranians have a long-term strategy here, and as does the Israelis, and hence, so does the U.S. They've been doing this for a long time, and they're first-rate soldiers and sailors. They have the weapons that they need. They've been waiting for these airstrikes. They are experienced in dealing with airstrikes from the Saudis, who are far closer than the Americans. If the regime continues to escalate, it's going to have even greater losses. Whenever you hear a, a casualty figure coming from the, ma the media, Pentagon will not release it, and if they do, you have to laugh at it. Multiply at least by three. The axis of resistance grows stronger every day. And the only thing that the regime had to do was try to pressure Israel into ending or modifying you know, whatever is realistic, the siege of, of Gaza, to allow aid to reach Palestine in insufficient quantities. Of course, that won't happen.
the Houthis have long promised safe passage for international ships so long as they're not heading to Israel. Israeli-owned and Israeli-bound vessels are the only ones. The Iranians have repeated this because, of course, the Houthis don't have much of a uh, uh, international communications media. No one else is under any threat, and everyone knows that. It's conceivable that shipping companies, insurance companies are that ignorant that they just believe whatever the New York Times says. But clearly, they're about winning hearts and minds. The U.S. doesn't care. Israel doesn't care. I would trust the Iranian media far more than anything from the U.S. You have, as of a few days ago, something like 60 of these so-called humanitarian organizations uh, voicing their opposition to these to these airstrikes. Now, I don't make human rights nonsense violations. This is a war. And the only time I've ever actually used the word genocide is concerning the Gaza Strip. And I should also note, I just, if you, if you were on my Patreon, I just published the Israeli settler piece, a lengthy one, because the world is turning to places like Yemen and Saudi Arabia and the Gaza Strip, the settlers in the West Bank are completely out of control. They're just slaughtering Palestinians. The U.S. has zero diplomatic credibility. It can't negotiate something as a tool of Jewish and Israeli foreign policy. The media, New York Times, says that the designation I started off the show mentioning will not lead to mass starvation, when in fact, that's exactly what's happening, and it's also designed to do that. The Saudis don't want this. They have, I want to say it's this year, lifted the restrictions on imports headed for Yemen. Of course, the Saudis and the Americans do exactly what they're accusing, typical, exactly what they accuse the Houthis of doing. That's what sanctions are. The Houthis are just doing a, a variant of sanctions policy. And the Saudis did this for one reason and one reason only. And that's because the Houthis began bombing oil fields, critical infrastructure. And the Saudis know that they can't beat them, though they've already tried. And, and you know, the Houthis have, have acknowledged this. There's one in Jeddah, um, Yaha Surya, who is the military spokesman for them, uh, said that they attack Aramco's facilities, which... You know, look look at the board of directors of, of Aramco. They all have Arabic names, every single one educated in the United States or Great Britain. They hit the rust. Uh, um, Tanura refineries, they had drones. Um, and within the capital itself, using drones, among other things, to inflict pretty serious damage. This is part of the reason why... Saudi Arabia is extremely upset at American action. They came to their senses. The Americans are not capable of that. Despite the fact that their diplomatic capacity and military capacity has long since been an object of ridicule, the only people who don't know this are Americans. I always said that the, the, the way that elites function, military action is an abstraction. They don't really get the, the realism of it. My Patreon has article after article talking about the sorry condition of the American armed forces, the lack of you know, poor training, 
their their manpower shortages are beyond um, repairable. Fifty percent of naval aviation can't fly. There's a huge pilot shortage in both the Navy and in and the Air Force. But I'm telling you that if the U.S. drags Saudi Arabia into another war, the oil facilities will be set on fire. And you're talking about a deepening depression um, in Europe. And they don't even really need to defeat the U.S. That's, that's the, the beauty. I mean, the Taliban did that. But in this case, you don't really have to defeat the U.S. You just have to outlast them. The Americans are in no position for a war of attrition. And God knows they're in no position for any kind of ground troops. Not when you have to have garrisons in practically every country on the planet. The Houthis have an extra... The Houthis wouldn't even have begun this unless it was well prepared. They're a battle-hardened militia. They could sustain this forever. Hence, there is no military solution here, at least from the American point of view. The Americans hit maybe 70 sites, but nothing suggests that that their offensive capability has been harmed whatsoever. Last week, I think they hit commercial ships heading to Israel four out of five days. Now, it's true, there hasn't been the decline of traffic according to to, um, the Iranians. But even if one ship decides not to go through, it's a loss for the U.S. I want to quote the Yemeni Navy directly. They say that their steadfast commitment to ongoing operations in the Red Sea until the cessation of the blockade and the aggressive action against Gaza. Maritime activities and navigation in the Red Sea are securely facilitated for all vessels excluding those affiliated with Israel or bound for Israeli ports. For ships that are unaffiliated, it is crucial to maintain uninterrupted communication with Yemeni authorities throughout their entire journey through the following channels. They mention radio and email. The Yemeni Armed Forces reiterate its dedication to conducting operations in strict adherence to international legal principles aimed at preventing genocide and punishing those responsible for it. Additionally, it underscores its commitment to facilitating unimpeded traffic flow and upholding maritime security in the Red Sea and the broader region. They have every reason to stick to this. Hearts and minds are what they're, you know, not just domestically, but abroad. The U.S., they, you know, they have no victory over hearts. And, and, and let me tell you, Trump coming out and saying Biden's weak, it's not, not a severe enough response, ground troops, it's, it's just embarrassing. Trump still thinks that if he fanatically supports Israel more than the Democrats, um, he's uh, the Jews going to like him. My Lord. But you, you know, claiming that this isn't enough shows you he is very much out of touch, and you know, he's not a political guy to begin with until until fairly recently. It comes down to this being de facto war against Iran and its allies. Part of the point, of course, is to provoke Iran to retaliate. No one invited American troops there, and certainly not in Syria. They have no right to be there, and they're only in 
um, oil region. Of course, they're going to use ISIS, their own creation, and expect to hear more from them in the future against uh, the Houthis. The U.S. is in terminal decline, both absolutely and relatively. There's no new axis of evil. It's always been the same group of states, China, Russia, Iran. This is a colonial thing. So long as the U.S. directly controls capitals throughout the world, Israel is then safe. People are complaining that well, every, every American intervention has been a bloody failure. So how could they possibly want to do that again? Well, the American elite is aware of one thing, that everything they do in terms of foreign policy, policy is to create a bloody debacle. The point is to return countries to dire poverty. I know I repeat myself when I say the U.S. is in no position to engage ground force. Increasing the campaign would already stress out an extremely stressed American military, especially the Navy and the Air Force. We know the draft is impossible, and we know why. Because about 20% of American boys between 18 and 25 are capable of military service. But even if that wasn't true, the U.S. still can't win on military ground. I mean, if the Saudis in Blackwater couldn't do it, why would the purged and overstretched and increasingly poorly trained American forces do any, do any better? Three American soldiers killed in the drone attack. And by the way, you got to multiply that. God knows how many and how many wounded. The regime affirmed retaliation. The U.S. has no right to be there. Creating a, a public perception, and this isn't, it isn't like they have secret knowledge in the State Department. They don't know any more than anyone else. Radical Iran-Bak militant groups, back militant groups. That's sufficient information to cause a so-called retaliatory strike. No, the attack, the drone attack, Jordan, that, that itself was retaliation. The Israelis... The Americans, they started this. They started this a long time ago. Joe Biden, of course, is, as, as a man, unelected. He doesn't know where he is. He, he did kind of croak out recently that Iran's responsible because they supply the weapons. Refused to respond when they said if Iran is directly responsible, despite the fact that the Iranians have denied it. Biden then was able to kind of put a, put a sentence or two together. He said, I don't think we need a wider war in the Middle East. That's not what I'm looking for. It, it, it's weasel words. It's not what I'm looking for, but he could also say, well, that's what's forced on me. But you could force anything on him. Support for Israel and its war on the Houthi militia strikes in Iraq, in Syria. This is what happens when you have a declining power who hasn't wrapped its head around the nature of its decline. Everything it does in the Middle East, they accuse other powers of doing. You know, neurotic projection has been a big issue with me. It's, it's too perfect of a, of a match for it to be anything else. That's not the only thing, of course, but psychologically speaking, 
it does matter. John Kirby, the National Security Council, said that um, they're going to strike the militia groups and degrade their capacity to attack Americans, and then send a strong signal to their backers in Iran. And of course, as of right now, the opposite has, has occurred. The Financial Times reported that it's not just a matter of targeting militia leaders, but throughout the Middle East, there won't be a single attack, um, the State Department said. There'll be several rounds, and it has to be a very robust attack action. And that's a an anonymous, though former, U.S. military commander in, in the Middle East. Trump and Republicans want war directly against Iran. Now, it's not as if BlackRock has, has ruled it out. Israel attacked uh, outside Damascus and killed uh, General Mousavi. Another one in the Syrian capital. The U.S. has no right to, to be there. The Iranians are there by invitation. And the Republican Guard intelligence chief, for, a chief uh, specializing in Syria was killed, and a few others. Making matters more obnoxious, the Israelis want to go into southern Lebanon again, where they have been driven out several times now. The defense minister said that um, the reserves in the northern part of Israel will go into action very soon. Now, they're not very well trained. A lot of them are new draftees. The Israelis are planning a huge escalation in Lebanon. So now you're talking about a huge expanded war. The Israelis are so overstretched to begin with in their own country, it's hard to believe that it's not simply that the Americans will have to intervene at some point. We don't have to worry about casualties. Hezbollah has already defeated the idea. Yet again, Israel has attacked Lebanon, even the capital, almost on a daily basis. Um, Tel Aviv has taken about 100,000 of its population from the northern cities. Hezbollah said that maybe 200 of its members have been killed since October 8th. Well, Israel says that nine soldiers have been killed, so you know, multiplied by three at least. Israel can't wage both wars. It's, it hasn't won even remotely in the Gaza Strip. It's overstretched throughout the country, on every country's border, in the West Bank, and now Lebanon. Hezbollah has everything that the Houthi militia has. Israel was uh, put placed the Nasser Medical Complex in the southern Gaza Strip under siege now for two weeks. There's no the generators simply don't have fuel anymore, and things are simply getting worse. I mentioned the West Bank. The Ibn Sina Hospital in Jenin has been attacked by Israeli special forces. Again, attacking hospitals is standard. They did the same thing in Lebanon in the early 80s. We know why Ansar Allah, the soldiers of God, the Houthi militia, is being punished. It's coming under attack because their blockade is working. As we all know, Israel imports almost all of its goods by sea. While international shipping hasn't declined all that much, Israeli shipping has gone down by 85%. 
one in three businesses in Israel is operating at about 20% capacity, half their revenue. A number of people are reporting this. The labor ministry says 20% of the workforce have been called up to military service. A million Israelis have already left the country. It's getting to the point where the only third world state is going to be Israel. Hence, Nukazadia. The Israeli treasury says you're talking about a shrinkage of 15% of GDP. There's nothing new here. American elites have been talking about losing control of the Red Sea for a very long time. Now, two-thirds of the population remain on the brink of starvation in Yemen and even higher. The West Bank and Gaza Strip and pretty soon at least half of, of Lebanon. Despite the worst cholera outbreak in human history, directly caused by the Saudis and indirectly caused by the United States, the Houthi movement, their popularity, has absolutely remained firm. If that couldn't defeat them, if anything, they're stronger than they were before. You think there's going to be a single Yemeni citizen who's going to back the U.S. over this? I don't care what tribe they belong to. The Houthis are winning. The Arab states are winning. Russia, of course, won a long time ago. The U.S. is in no position to do much about it. And I'm very pleased that I can report that. Thanks, everyone. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. You're listening to Radio Albion, talk radio for the nationalist community.